Well, good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Fantastic. God bless you. God bless you. I'm tired. So, Laurel, why don't you come up and teach? <laughs> no. No, that's, that's fantastic. I am tired. Uh, there's been a lot of different things going on. Life, as we've talked a lot about in the last, well, I've at least talked a lot about in the last few months, is filled with hardship, right? Yeah, it is. And my week has had some of that. So you can be praying for me as I present here God's glory. So I feel pretty good about it because God's glory is something none of us know very much about. Even those of us who have spent years investing in, in understanding the glory of God, we have no idea. But my prayer today is that as we go into this new year, we would have some small glimpse of what God's glory looks like, that we would have a desire to see him glorified in our lives, and we would understand that glorifying God, what that looks like as we relate to others. It's a freeing experience, I promise you, and so does Paul. So, let's get into this. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. If you missed some of our fruit of the Spirit series, it was delightful. To be honest, as I was getting ready as we were deciding to do the series, a topical series, I was a little bit, uh, uh, what's the word? No, I mean, it's, it, right, it's a lot of, I was thinking, man, prepping sermons on topics is going to be a whole lot of work, whole lot of work rather than just having a text. But to be honest, I loved it. It was amazing. And hopefully you enjoyed it as well. If you missed some of those, they really were great and encouraging. And I think speak volumes to what life in the spirit looks like. I believe that to kind of summarize or a snapshot of this gift of the spirit, I believe that the giving of the spirit to us is ultimately a gift so that we can have a passion for God's glory as God himself has a passion for his glory. And that's a weird thing to say, because if I said to you, I wish you could be as passionate about me as I am about myself. <laughs> that wouldn't sound so good, would it? Oh, that would sound pretty bad, actually. Uh, so, so we're not going to say that. But we know that God's ways are greater than our ways. We know that his love is perfect. We've been looking at the fruit of his spirit and what that looks like. We know that that is perfect. We know that no one loves more, no one loves greater, and no one treasures us more than God. God also treasures himself. Why? Because God is perfect. If you're perfect, you can do that. We can't because we're not perfect. So for me to say, hey, you should have as much passion for me as I have for myself is a little different than me saying we need to have passion for the glory of God as he himself has passion for his glory. Anytime I speak about things, I always encourage you to test them. So 
there are, I, I have a load of scripture references dealing with God's passion to see himself glorified. And if you would like those references, I can share those with you. His satisfaction in himself is perfect. And the Spirit gives us access to this perfect satisfaction as we are led by him. And living through Christ. It's a hard thing to wrap our minds around, but we're going to try today. And my question for you, the question you can ask yourself is this. Do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you? Or do you feel more loved by God because he, at great cost to himself, frees you to make much of him? Do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you? Or do you feel more loved by God because at great cost to himself, he frees you to make much of him? As we're coming through the Christmas season, it is more evident than ever that it is really easy to fall into the trap of idolizing self. It's a season that Focus a lot about gifts, and, 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 and that's not so bad because we're giving to other people, but as you're receiving gifts, sometimes it's like, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. I don't know if any of you do Christmas lists. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but oftentimes we can get very self-centered, whether it's in this season or any season, really. You know, in this moment, I think being self-centered can be a major trap, an idol that we fall into. And make no mistake, Despite that being a trap, God does, in fact, has made you great. God has made you great. But that is so that you can point to the creator, the sustainer, provider. Point to the one who makes you great. I've spoken a lot about not taking ourselves too seriously while taking God incredibly seriously. And I'm going to do it again. So buckle up. If you enjoy that theme, you're in for a treat. Uh, I enjoy that theme. And I think it's key to us being able to have a relationship with God where we can really live in the glory of God without feeling like we need to control the world around us. Today's text is Romans 3. 21 through 27. So let's have a look. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. 
at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God is glorious. This is me, not the scripture. God is glorious, and he should be taken very seriously. And here we have at the top of verse 27, where then is boasting? What's Paul say? It is, an, is, it, it is excluded. It is excluded. I think that's a strong statement of, I don't take myself too seriously. Right? So we saw all this. God did these things. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness. He says that twice, Paul does. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness. God is glorious and just and righteous, and he should be taken really seriously. But where is boasting? It's excluded. Don't take yourself too seriously. So today, as we walk through this text a little bit and, and look at, I want to look at four things. I want to look at the glory of God. And maybe, maybe today we'll understand that a little bit better. Then I want to look through the lens of the glory of God to understand the state of sinful man. I want to look through the lens of the glory of God to understand the state of sinful man. Then look at God's demonstration of righteousness in dealing with sinful man. And then finally, I want to address our perspective as recipients of God's gracious justice to us, sinful people, when looking at and dealing with sinful people. You ready? Let's go on an adventure together. All right, so we're going to start by looking at the glory of God. Like I said, this is something none of us know anything about, really, some of us have had a taste, and that taste is delightful, and that is t- a taste is something to hold on to, and it's something we want to be pursuing, and we will pursue our whole lives until we get to be in the presence of that glory. When looking at this, I was drawn to a text out of Exodus, and it was... When I, when I read this, I was thinking about, obviously, the glory of God, our interaction with people, and what that looks like. And I read this, and I wept. I'm going to try not to weep today. Exodus 33, 18, Moses is interacting with God. And he says, now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Uh, When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand 
and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I thought, this is remarkable to me. Like, when I, when I try to imagine the glory that to see it would be so overwhelming that one couldn't live. And God goes extreme, to extreme lengths to allow Moses to get a taste. And I think Moses needed the taste to walk through all that he had to walk through. But he didn't get to see it all. He wasn't able to be in the presence of God. We see elements of the glory of God is seen in Jesus, full of grace and truth. In John 1, 14 through 18, it says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we will all receive grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. He displays God's glory in his life. We too are to reflect the glory of God to those around us. And hopefully as we walk through this, we'll understand a little better what that looks like. How do we reflect the glory of God and how do we look at our fellow man? The final text I wanted to look at in regards to the glory of God is uh, out of Revelation 4. I'm not going to pull the whole text up, but I'm going to give you a summary. John is describing the throne of heaven. And as he describes this incredible throne, he's trying to put into words something that, that no man can put into words. Again, he's seeing something that no man has ever seen. And so in trying to produce language to convey what he's saying, it obviously falls short. But as he's describing it, he describes the throne and he describes 24 thrones that are surrounding it. And there's four, 24 elders seated on those 24 thrones, and they each have a golden crown. And then there are four creatures, marvelous, remarkable creatures, that are standing in their presence. And these creatures, nonstop, day and night, for all time, are proclaiming glory to God, saying this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as these creatures are giving glory and honor and thanks to God who sits on the throne, 
the 24 elders fall down before God, before the throne, laying their crowns at the feet of the throne. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It's impossible for us to understand this incredible glory, but we can see whoever these 24 elders are laying down their crowns uh, before God and making this proclamation that he is worthy of everything, all of it, and that his very being has created and is holding all things together. We've seen this in Scripture before. But it's impossible for us to grasp this kind of glory. I read a book some time ago. I don't remember the author, to be honest. I tried to find it and couldn't. Um, but knowing some of the books I've read in the last few months, I would guess it might be, it might be Tim, Tim Keller or it might be Christopher Wright. Um, but they were describing the glory of God. And they were trying to provide a picture of what the glory of God looks like. So they were giving images to describe that. And first they said, okay, so imagine a slug, right? You with me? A slug. Pretty unimpressive. And then imagine, as best as we can, an archangel. So think about like this amazing, immense being of power. Um, and he the way he put it was, if you put them next to each other, it would seem like there, were, there was no comparison in the glory that they had as created things. There's no comparison, okay? Or, you know, you got a slug, pretty pathetic, lots of slime. You know, got an archangel, big sword, at least that's how I picture it, huge wings, fighting spiritual battles, little bit different than the slug, Right? But the way the author put it was, if you set those things side by side and line them up to the glory of God, they would be indistinguishable. Okay? Slug. Right here. Archangel compared with the glory of God. Same thing. You wouldn't be able to tell a difference. And then you have God's glory. So the concept is that his glory is so great that the very greatest of things... You couldn't tell the difference when put on a scale with it. So hopefully that gives us a little picture. And that's where I want us to be thinking. We want to think in that way, through that lens of the glory of God, to then understand this relationship uh, and to better understand the state of sinful man. Our text in uh, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have this idea of glory. We have the slug in the archangel down there on the floor. God's glory through the ceiling. 
and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to get into what I believe this implies for us as we interact with others. But the first text that I thought of when I read this was Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is man that you are mindful of him? But yet we see in this same psalm, just lines later, that he has crowned us with glory and honor. Like I said in the beginning, he makes us great. The slug, the archangel, ourselves, we're all down there, right? What is man that we, he is mindful of us, and yet he crowns us with glory and honor and makes us great. And we see in the very next verse of, or the very next part of uh, our text today, right after it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says, let me find it here, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he crowns us with glory and honor, justifying us freely by his grace. It's a pretty good deal, right? Pretty good deal? We made out okay. We made out okay. Interesting. This is how this amazingly glorious person treats us. Maybe you're getting a gist of where I'm going. We'll see. So, so why? God, he demonstrates, this demonstration of righteousness, and he, he oh, oh, I lost myself. This is impressive. All right, now, <laughs> all right. So, ju- we're justified freely. This is how an almighty God treats us. So when we look at God and he's demonstrating his righteousness, dealing with sinful man, what do we see? We see this freedom, but in verse 25 and 26, it mentions twice that God sent his son Jesus to be a statement about his righteousness. He sent his son Jesus to be a statement about his righteousness. Or as the text says, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness. The first section of this demonstration is dealing with the sins that happened before Jesus and were, went unpunished, as it says. And the first thing I thought of as I thought about these sins that went unpunished were David and Bathsheba. If you're not familiar with the story, I'm going to just give you a snapshot. David, great king, loved God and served God wholeheartedly. 
but he started making a bit of an idol of himself. Right? We talked about this earlier. What happens when we make an idol of ourselves? Bad things happen. He's up on his roof. He should probably be leading his men in a battle they're fighting. Instead, he's up on the roof. Why is he up on the roof? Well, he's got a great view. He's looking down, and there's a lady with not enough clothes on (laughs) that he shouldn't be looking at, and yet he's looking. And he takes what he sees for himself. No permission. Not a just thing to do, but he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. At least that's how he was thinking. For sure. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him. And he tells him a story about some sheep. He says there's a rich man and he's got loads of sheep. All the sheep you could possibly have. And then he has some company over. And as the company are coming over, he goes over to his neighbor's. Neighbor only has one sheep. It's all he's got. It's all he's got in the whole world. It's the only thing he's got. Guess what he does? Got to feed my company. I'm going to take his sheep. He's got thousands of sheep. It doesn't matter. He's got one. I'm going to take that one. David goes, with outrage, that man needs to be punished. He should be punished severely for what he's done. And Nathan points at him and says, it's you. David confesses his sins. And then the next words out of Nathan's mouth is this. God has taken your sins away. What? What? Murder? Adultery? Rape? Taking them away. What? There's nothing in me that says that's justice. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. How often do things not make sense? All the time. But what this text tells us, our text today, is that with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, this story that we see in David that can be seen as an incredible injustice is made right. Hmm. All right, well, let's keep cruising. Verse 26, it says, he demonstrated his righteousness again, okay? So re-emphasis, demonstrating the righteousness, and now he's demonstrating it with the present. That's us. Those who have faith in Jesus. We receive our justification in and through him. What a gift. Can't deserve it. Can't earn it. What a gift. So the final thing I want to talk about, because for many of you who know me, I love application. So let's apply How do we take all this information and what do we do with it? How does this impact our perspective? Recipients of God's gracious justice to us. 
And how does it impact how we look at others? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think a good place to start is to understand that all includes ourselves. Romans one twenty two says this, 22 and 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human. Being a, beings, human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. That image that we exchange for the glory of God in this day most commonly is the one in the mirror. In this text, Paul poses the question at the end, and we touched on it briefly. He presents this incredible righteousness of God. And then in verse 27, he says, where then is boasting? And he answers it. It's excluded. When we look at the glory of God in comparison to ourselves, it's like a grain of sand in Mount Everest. When we evaluate our self-righteousness on a spectrum with others, it's like a grain of sand versus Mount Everest. From me to David to you to you to you, 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 you. No matter what you've done, no matter how awful I might think that is, or you might think that is, or the person next to you might think that is, no matter how great my self-righteousness is worth no more than yours in the light of his glory and grace. How do we look at others? Do we look at others and, and put them on a scale and say, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't fallen that far. I haven't done that because that's unforgivable. The gift that God has given each and every one of us, if we receive it, covers all of it and crowns us with glory and honor. So how dare we treat anyone as if they did not have glory and honor? It's a precious gift. We don't have to be the judges. Isn't that great? I'm not eliminating our role as believers to encourage and build each other up. Absolutely. But when those encouragements turn into us somehow painting this beautiful picture of ourselves so we can look in the mirror and say, I'm pretty great. No. No. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's not. 
Let's not play that game. Instead, let us look for ways that we can reflect God's glory to the people around us. Let's look for ways that we can build and encourage. Let's look for ways that we can extend an arm and show people that Jesus is love, that we forgive unlike the people who don't have God, that when we walk through hardship, we can walk through upright because we have a glorious God who is making much of us. I want to invite up the worship team. As we move into the new year, let us be a community that embraces our greatness by pointing to the one who makes us great. Let us busy ourselves with making much of him rather than looking at others and patting ourselves on the back saying, at least I'm not that bad. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let us be builders, encouragers, equippers. Let our eyes be so set on bringing glory to God, surrendering ourselves to the leading of the Spirit, that his fruit would flourish and be evident in our, in our lives. To God be the glory. Let us worship. Amen.